God bless you and welcome to the Solution Radio Show. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Greg Backus, your host. Jesus Christ is still the solution for all the situations you and I might find ourselves in. He is God's solution for all mankind for all time. He stated in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the one who makes a difference. He made a difference in people's lives 2,000 years ago when he lived and walked among people. And he makes a difference today because he was raised from the dead and he is seated at God's right hand in the heavenlies. I trust that Christ Jesus makes a difference in your life today, that you see the tremendous love that God has for you, that you come to have a deeper and more full relationship with God as your heavenly Father, that you see your purpose in life is far above the day-to-day circumstances of life. God's love for you, it knows no bounds. Today we will hear some wonderful music, read some of the Bible together regarding how God has rescued each of us, and our interview segment is with Chris Fabry. Chris is the host of Chris Fabry Live on Moody Radio, and he is the author of over 70 books, including most recently the novelization of War Room. Let's start off with Grace Wins by Matthew West. My weakest moment I see you Shaking your head in disgrace I can read the disappointment Written all over your face Here come those whispers in my ear Saying who do you think you are Looks like you're on your own from here Grace could never reach that far But in the shadow of that shame Beat down by all the blame I hear you call my name Saying it's not over And my heart starts to beat so loud Now drowning out the doubt I'm down but I'm not out There's a a thirsty soul The broken side begins to heal And grace returns with guilty stole And in the shadow of that shame Deep down by all the blame I hear you call my name Saying it's not over And my heart starts to beat so loud Now drowning out the
the woman at the well, grace wins for the blind man and the beggar, grace wins for always and forever, grace wins for the lost out on the street, grace wins for the worst part of you and me, grace wins for the thief on the cross. song by Matthew West. I'm definitely living proof that God's grace wins every time. Today we're going to look at the wonderful truth that God has rescued us. Why did we need to be rescued? What did we need to be rescued from? And what have we been rescued to? All of those questions are answered for us in the scriptures. God's love for his people is displayed in the wonderful truth that we have been rescued. Let's begin by looking in Ephesians as to why we needed to be rescued. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll start if you have your Bible handy, and we'll read here verses 1 through 3. Verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Literally it is, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. How were we previously dead? You know, we're still waking up in the morning, we're going to work or going to school or whatever we may do in life. We were spiritually dead because we did not have the Spirit of God. That's what it's referring to here. Man is a three-part being. Man is body, soul, and spirit. The body, that was formed of the dust of the ground. The soul, that's your breath life. And the spirit, that is what is created in the image of God. That spirit, that is what was lost when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. So that's what it refers to when it says, dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. You see, prior to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we lived according to the dictates and the standards of this evil world. The world is controlled by the devil, God's adversary. He's the one who exercises his demonic authority in the realm that affects mankind. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation. Conversation here could maybe better be translated our behavior or our manner of life. So among whom also we all had our manner of life in times past 
in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. In the past, our manner of life was such that we just did whatever we wanted. You know, you hear it all the time today, where people may say, well, it's all good, or I'm going to do it my way, or if it feels good, well, go for it, and so on and so on. That type of attitude, that type of behavior, is fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind. Because really, it's not all good. And when I do it my way, well, it just doesn't glorify God, though it may glorify my ego. And when I go for it because it feels good, well, so often, if not always afterwards, it results in guilt and condemnation. The ways of the world that work in the children of disobedience leads to sin, separation from the one true God, and eventually death. Here in Ephesians chapter 2, we clearly see that we need to be rescued. Look at verse 12 here in Ephesians 2. That at that time, at what time? Before having received the Spirit from God through the new birth. At that time, before we were born again of God's Spirit, we were without Christ, being aliens from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. The great depth of that verse is dealing with the truth that both Judeans and Gentiles are of one body in Christ, and that now all can partake through Christ of the promises and the covenants that God gave to Abraham and the children of Israel. Think about it for a moment. Today, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be without Christ, or to have no hope and to be without God in this world. What would that be like to have no hope? Or, if I had a hope, if it was a false hope? What would it be like to be without God? Well, it would be terribly lonely and frustrating and miserable. It would be way, way, way too much to bear. Without Christ, without hope, and without God, men and women and children, they self-medicate themselves with, oh, a variety of things like alcohol, drugs, or they immerse themselves in the imaginary lives of TV characters, or they may revel in the pride of life and the lusts of their flesh. Without Christ, that's all there is. We see here in Ephesians the tremendous need for mankind to be rescued and some of what we've been rescued from. Even if we didn't read it in God's Word, the sorry state of mankind today and the need to be rescued by a Savior is clearly evident. All we have to do is look around at the world around us and if we're honest, well, we can clearly see the world needs to be rescued. Galatians chapter 1, let's take a look at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, verse 4, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Look at that. How could there be favor 
and peace from God and from our Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the heartache that's found in this world today? Well, it's because Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. It says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died so that you could live. He gave so that you could give. It's in Christ and Christ alone that grace and peace are found. And he has delivered us from this present evil world. In the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he rescued us from this present evil age. He snatched us out from the control of God's archenemy, the devil. And all of it is according to God's plan and purpose. How could any of us ever think that our life has no purpose? To think that your life is useless and purposeless is to be deceived. Because you know that's just not the truth. God sees a plan and he sees a purpose in you. He is unlimited in his scope and activity. Those who have Christ have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God works within his children to will and to do of his good pleasure. The value of your life is beyond any human measure. It cost God everything. It cost him his only begotten son to rescue you from certain eternal death. So often the value of something is indicated by the price paid. Well, the price paid for you, the life of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. We'll read here verses 12 through 14. Verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet or qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. God our Father, he has qualified us. He has qualified us to receive our portion in the inheritance that is for the saints in light. How has he qualified us? By giving us his spirit in the new birth. By the truth that we have been rescued from this evil present age. This inheritance is not just for the future at the return of Jesus Christ. No, part of that portion is to be utilized today as we live and walk and talk with our Heavenly Father. I remember the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 12. We've read that many, many times, and it's probably very familiar to many of you. In that verse, it clearly states the part of the inheritance that is to be utilized today by you and I. Let's read John 14. Verily, verily, or amen and amen, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the works that he did, you are to do also. What are some of the works he did? Well, he obeyed his Father. He loved the unlovable. He healed the sick. He cast out devil spirits. He raised the dead. And it then also goes on to say, And greater works shall you do. What is the greater work that you or I could do that the Lord Jesus Christ could not do? 
The answer? Worship the Father in spirit and in truth, or truthfully by way of the Spirit, by speaking in tongues. Now, it's a whole other topic to go into speaking in tongues, and I'm not going to do that today. But uh, speaking in tongues so often has been dismissed by many as not being for the church today, that it was only for the apostles on the day of Pentecost. At times it's been treated almost as an oddity in the church and not something to be desired. Though I know more and more in the church are beginning to see the prophet, the great prophet, to speaking in tongues. You know, think about it for a moment in light of it being dismissed or considered to be an oddity. God's arch enemy, the devil, he desires worship. If he cannot convince people to worship him, then don't you think he would do all he could to keep people from giving to God what God desires? Worship? God desires that his people worship him in spirit and in truth. It became available on the day of Pentecost, and it is still available today for you. That is one of the greater works spoken of here in John chapter 14, verse 12. Literally, our life purpose, it is described concisely in John 14, 12. I want a John 14, 12 life. I'm sure you do too. What a way to live. Let's continue on here in Colossians 1, uh, verse 13. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We have been delivered we have been rescued from the power of darkness. That word power here in this verse 13 means exercised authority. We are rescued from the exercised authority, the controlling power of the evil one who is darkness. We're no longer subject to Satan who rules this world. We have been plucked up and removed from the authority of God's archenemy, and we have been placed in the kingdom of God. And not only have we been spiritually removed from his controlling authority, even though we still live in this world, we have been given authority in Christ which far surpasses and supersedes the authority of the evil one. It says that we are the lights of this world. Well, light dispels darkness. Can darkness ever dispel light? No impossible. Well, we have Christ within. That is the light. And we have the privilege to walk and live in this world with that John fourteen twelve lifestyle. Let's continue here in Colossians 1, verse 14. In whom, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We have been redeemed through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. How precious is that blood? The redemption in Christ, it's a full redemption. He paid the entire price required by a just God to redeem mankind from the clutches of the evil one. The ransom, it's been paid. You're free to go. You're no longer held captive by the bars of fear, pride, sickness, death and all that's included in the bill of goods we received because of Adam's sin 
of disobedience. You know, it almost sounds too good to be true. But yet, it is true, because God is so good. Some want to argue and say, well, you know, I need to do good works, or I really need to clean up my act first. Sorry, that's not how it works. It's a gift of God's grace, a gift of God's love. Besides, before confessing Jesus as your Lord, you're dead and without hope in this world. Dead because you do not yet have the Spirit from God. How would it be possible for a dead person to do good works or to clean themselves up? It's not possible. Dead is dead. Only God can make alive by His completed work through Jesus Christ. No man, no woman, by way of good intentions or behavior, can make themselves alive. It's God who gives eternal life because of how good He is and because of His love for you. Now that we've been rescued, what are we to do? Let's look at the scriptures. It'll make it really clear for us. Second Corinthians chapter 5, let's look at verse 15. And that he, Jesus, died for all, or in place of all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. Remember the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, there it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ he died for the entire world. God gave his Son for every single human being. Those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they receive the benefit of that gift. Those that choose not to believe do not receive the gift of eternal life. It's a gift. It can't be earned. It was freely given by God to all. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, They that live. Who are those that live? Those that have received the Spirit from God. Those are the ones who have life and live. You know, isn't there a show on TV called The Walking Dead? I've never seen it. I've heard of it. That is an accurate term for describing those who have not received the Spirit from God. They're living, they're breathing human beings, they walk among us, but they have no eternal life spirit. Literally, they are the walking dead. And at times the walking dead may try to earn their righteousness before God and before men by their good works, but it's fruitless and it's a waste of time. Dead people can't do good works. On the other hand, it's available to become alive in Christ by accepting God's solution to death. God's solution. Jesus Christ. So here in Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, those that are alive in Christ are to no longer live for themselves but to live for God and for Christ, who died and gave himself for us. Let's look at Galatians, 
uh, chapter 2, verse 16 is where we'll start. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith or the accomplished believing of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. What is it to be justified? To be justified is to be legally declared righteous in the sight of God. We are righteous in God's sight, not by the works of the law, but by the complete and perfect life of Jesus Christ. We are righteous in the sight of God because we have believed on God's solution to our dilemma. We have believed in Jesus Christ as our substitute for death and as our deliverer unto eternal life. Verse 19 there, still in Galatians, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. We are dead to the law because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. Christ is the end of the law. He, being the perfect man, was obedient in all ways, all the way unto death on the cross. He did all that was required to satisfy the justice of God. Now it's time for us to live unto God. Verse 20, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When were we crucified with Christ? In our identification with him on the cross. The life that we now live day to day in the flesh is not by the senses, according to the flesh and according to the direction of the prince of the power of the air. Rather, our life today that we now live is to be by the believing of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. How? How do we do that? How can we live by the believing of the Son of God? By putting on the mind of Christ. By believing that God is who he says he is in his word and by believing that you are who God says you are in his word. Verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, by good works, then Christ is dead in vain. We do not want to frustrate the grace of God in our life. Righteousness is a free gift and it is part of all that we have received in Christ. Jesus Christ did not die in vain. We are rescued. We are no longer as a caged animal. We've been set free. Live today in the freedom with which Christ has made you free. I can see what is raging at my feet I can feel The breath of those surrounding me I can hear 
sound of nations rising up, we will not be overtaken, we will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road, I can face every fear of the unknown, I can hear all God's children singing out, we will not be overtaken, we
guest today is Chris Fabry. Chris is an award-winning author and radio personality. He hosts the daily program, Chris Fabry Live on Moody Radio. He's also heard on Love Worth Finding, Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman, and he's on several other radio programs as well. He's a 1982 graduate of the School of Journalism at Marshall University and a native of West Virginia. Chris and his wife, Andrea, live in Arizona, and they are the parents of nine children. Chris has written over 70 books, including nonfiction, film novelizations, and novels for children and young adults, his most recent release being the novelization of the movie War Room. I'd like to welcome Chris Fabry to the Solution Radio Show. Welcome, Chris. Great to be with you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us. Could you give us a little info on your background, Chris, sort of your testimony of how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Sure. I was uh, brought up in a Christian home. My mom and dad were both believers. But when we were, when I was a kid, there was, uh, we kind of got into this church that was a, uh, you had to do this, that, and the other thing in order to be right with God. And if you didn't, you didn't know from one day to the next whether you were a believer or not, you know, whether you were in, you were out. And uh, it was about, uh, I, was, I was just a kid, you know, elementary school, when my mom started listening to the back of the Bible on the radio. And she heard the truth. It was kind of this osmosis or a process for her. And then my dad was like, well, that's, that's, you're right. We, there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. You know, it's the grace of God. So I heard that message very early on. And when I was probably about 11 or 12, I can remember this, uh, moment, you know, this time when I just felt the, uh, such a conviction, that, oh, God, please save me, because I've been been praying that for a lot of years, and uh, coming back to him the next day after I'd stolen something or mm-hmm. <laughs> hit my brother overhead with a canteen, right. um, but it really clicked with me at 11 or 12 that th- this was real. God's offer to me through Christ was his righteousness for my sin, and so I trusted him then, it really wasn't until I was out of high school, though, that I made the decision, you know, if this is real, as I was going to college, if this is real, I need to follow it. I, you know, God deserves more than just Sundays and Wednesday nights. Um, and so that's when I think the commitment really solidified with me, and God got a hold of my heart, and I uh, started, you know, reading a lot of uh, books. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship was was really pivotal in that when I went to school. And mm-hmm. then I came to Moody Bible Institute after that, studied that. We thought we'd go to the mission field, and our mission happened to be uh, radio. So that's kind of a, an overview of my my uh, spiritual life. Oh, that's wonderful. And since then, it's pretty much been nonstop for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been kind of a whirlwind. And I look back at it now and think, you know, I, I can look at different steps or decisions that we took that were so huge then, and I, you know, should I go this way, that way? And now I look back at it, it was like, man, this all looks ordered to me, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> right. at the time, it was really difficult. Right. Well, you know, this past fall, the, the movie War Room reached number one at the box office, and you wrote the novelization of the book War Room. Can you tell us a little bit about the process involved in writing that book? Sure. Yeah, the, the Kendricks came to me through Tyndale House, the publisher, and said, would you consider writing this? Here's the script. And I had a plane flight the next day, and I was interested because I've known their other films. And I read it on the on the plane and a couple of different places in the script. Um, a script can just kind of 
sit there and, and stare at you. It can just be words on a page. But a couple of places in there, like I was tearing up, and I thought, man, if they do this right, if they do this well, they've got something here, and I want to. I'm on board. I want to be a part of it. So mm-hmm. I said yes. They sent me the rough cut of the film, which they'd already shot and were editing, you know, putting together, so that I could uh, match the dialogue that was on screen rather than what was on the page, because. When I read a novelization and, and somebody says something that was in the movie, I want it to match what I've seen in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I made sure that all the dialogue that was on the, on the screen made it into the, into the book. But they gave me the latitude to you know, ask questions, to go, go different places, to look at the past of some of the characters, you know, why, how they got uh, where they are. One of them is, uh, for example, Clara. In the film, Clara's selling her house, and she meets Elizabeth Jordan, who's a realtor. Well, one of the questions I thought of was, because my mom is is older, and she's in the house that uh, I grew up in. Mm -hmm. She's still there since 1962 or 63 when we moved in. And she's not leaving that house. I was thinking, you know, Clara's probably the same way. She's not leaving there without a good reason. Mm -hmm. So why is Clara, why does she want to sell that house? And so that led me through, uh, you know, some good questions, and and uh, the thing that I came up with, you could read more about it in the in the novelization. But it was those kinds of things that they didn't have the time to tell in the film that I wanted to flesh out. Right. I, I did read the book, and I thought it was excellent the way you sort of built the behind the scenes of some of the characters, and and what was going on. Thank you. Um, in in the movie War Room and in the book, uh, who's your favorite character, and why? Well, it has to be Miss Clara. I mean, she's, you know, when I when I started writing the book, I, I started writing it just as, you know, chapters of things that happened. And then I thought, you know, I've got to get closer to the characters. I've got to get this in from their perspective. And Elizabeth and Tony are, you know, two of the, the two main people that's uh, happening in there, all this happening in their family. But Miss Clara is just so... You know, she's so good and so strong. I said, we've got to tell it from her perspective, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I love the way that the actress who portrays her just kind of embodies this role. And, and what I've heard about from Alex, they chose her the last day of, of the auditions. You know, she kind of walked in in character. She looks like she's probably in her 70s, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and the actress who portrays her, I believe, is, is a lot younger than that, like 20 years younger than that. But she she walks with that, you know, kind of uh, interesting gait of hers and her elbows, you know, going out. Uh, so the, the physical nature, the way that she talks, the way that she kind of chews her words, and then more than that, what's inside her. You can just tell that there's this love and, and compassion that she has. And it makes you wonder, where'd that come from? What are, the, what are the struggles? And as you read it and you see the film, you realize Miss Clara has had a lot of you know, struggles in her life, a lot of prayers that weren't answered you know, or didn't get answered the way she wanted them to. Mm-hmm. And she's just authentically living her life from the inside out in, in front of us. And I, I wanted to go deeper with her character. I just love her. Yeah, she's, I think, everybody's favorite. I know she was my favorite. And actually, we had her on the Solution Radio show, oh, I think it was like two weeks before Christmas, uh, Karen Amber Crombie. 
is the actress. Oh, she did such a it's a it's a shame that she wasn't nominated for some award, uh, an Oscar Academy Award. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand why they kind of look past a film like this, but I just thought she did such a great job with that character. Uh, she did. Now, in in light of War Room, has your prayer life personally changed after having written the novelization? You know, it changed in the middle of it, uh, in the middle of the writing process, because you can look at uh, writing as just, you know, a job. You know, it's just like somebody who goes to light brick. You you get up and you do the work and then you move on. But there was something about this that compelled me, because I, I really believe there's power in prayer. Mm-hmm. But it's one thing to believe it and to talk about it, another thing to do it. And so as I came to, you know, to write this every day, I always pray before I, I start my work, you know, God, use what I want to say and help me focus and help me not to look at Facebook too much, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I really felt like this um, this particular burden that was, and burden is, is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. There's just, this is, this is bigger than just trying to tell a story about a woman who needs to sell her house, you know, mm-hmm. and there are people who are going through uh, some real struggles here, and I am as well. So I think it, it called me to more of a fervency or a focus in my prayers, mm-hmm. and that and to really believe that there's something more going on here. I, I think that's the that's the hard part to you know get on your knees or just bow before God and to really believe that number one He's there, number two that He's listening. And number three, that he really wants to act on our behalf. I mean, that's that's part of the faith process. Right. So, yeah, I would say it's it. My prayer life changed during that process, prog- you know, the progress that I was making, and then afterward, it's had a lasting effect. Mm, that's wonderful. Did you have much of an interaction as you were writing with the Kendrick brothers, or did you get to make it out to North Carolina onto the set when they were filming the movie at all? They had already finished, so I didn't get to go to the set. And I've met um, Alex and Stephen and the team uh, before, but we didn't have any face-to-face conversations. It was all uh, mostly back and forth by phone and by email. Mm-hmm. And what I would do, uh, I normally don't work this way, but I, I would write a chapter and send it to Alex, mainly was the one who I was working with. I'd send it to Alex. And he'd send it back and say, I like this, I like this, hey, let's tweak this. I had, uh, I think I had Tony driving a different kind of car. I think I had him driving a Suburban and he was driving a Tahoe, you oh, know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there were some minor little things that, that he would change or the type of hotel that Tony would stay in. You know, he's kind of a, he dresses real well and he stays at high end places. So he wouldn't be staying at the hotel that I would have been, <laughs> right, right. I would have been at or eating the breakfast that, uh, that I would have had meeting. So Alex was helping me getting me into that character and by the time we got to the end of the book, I mean, he was sending me responses to each of the chapters with some of those little tweaks but also saying, "Man, this is powerful. It's like I'm I'm experiencing this all over again." And as a writer, that's what I that's what I want to hear. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that we get to work again together uh, down the road. And you know, like you said earlier when you first read the script, how it brought tears to your eyes. And I think that's the case when people read the book as well as see the movie. You know that there's some power there when that happens. It's yeah, touching exactly. those hearts. And you want that. You know, I, 
if you're writing a story and you're telling something and you don't have tears, you know, you, you don't you don't feel the emotion of the thing, then your readers are not going to feel that. Mm-hmm. The people who are watching the film aren't going to feel that. But if you do, you know, if, if you're engaged enough on a heart level with that, it really changes the way you you tell the story, you that you convey it on the page. Right. In the book, your dedication is to Angela Yuan, prayer warrior. Can you tell us a little bit about Angela, her prayer life, and and why you chose her for the dedication? I met Angela and her husband, Leon. Leon's a dentist in the Chicago area, and uh, they were going to a new members class at a church that we were attending. And they told their story and asked us at the end, pray for our son, Christopher, who's in jail in Atlanta under a federal charge, uh, drug charge. And we learned the story of Christopher, who came out to his parents years earlier. It was because of this situation that really Angela became a believer, and then Leon after her. And their fervent prayer was for Christopher, who didn't know Christ, who was in prison, who was having you know this drug charge over him, and he was HIV positive. So um, fast forward to today, Christopher is a professor of Bible at Moody Bible Institute. Oh, wow. I mean, it's just this unbelievable story of him finding a Bible in the prison, in the trash can, reading it, coming to Christ, attending Moody Bible Institute, getting his degree at Wheaton College as well, and now he's a professor of Bible. Well, all that happened as a direct result, I believe, of Angela and Leon's prayers, and I went to their house. My kids would get their teeth cleaned by Leon, and she took me up to the second floor um, sometime later, and I went in their uh, master bathroom, and it's not a bathroom anymore. In the in the shower stall was this real thin little uh, carpet thing, and you can see where Angela has been kneeling all through the years. And up on the shower, uh, the the walls where the tile is, are all of these little post-it notes of people that she's met, of parents who've said, would you pray for my son? Would you pray for my daughter as they do these seminars around the country? Mm. I believe that Christopher is where he is today. You know, God worked in his life because Angela was faithful. She was getting on her knees in her prayer, in her war room of her own, though she didn't call it that at the time. And when I, I don't say that that's prescriptive, though. You know, you don't convert your shower stall into a prayer room and have your unbelieving homosexual son become a Bible teacher. It doesn't happen that way. But as you draw closer to God, as you bring the things that are on your heart to Him, He begins to change you. Mm-hmm. He begins to, to work in your own heart as you draw closer to Him and He draws near to you. And I think there's great power and good things happen when people do that. Well, I can really see then why you dedicated the book to Angela, what an impact her prayer had in that situation. Well, you've written over 70 books. Uh, What keeps you motivated in the writing process? Well, I have nine kids and uh, lots of bills. That's one (laughs) (laughs) that'll keep me getting up in the morning. Right. Um, You know, I just feel like um, God has given us words. God has given me words. And God wants to change the world with words. He changed the world with the Word, the Word, the Word made flesh. And I think He gives you know certain people the the ability and the desire to do the same thing. So, mm-hmm. with my stories, with the 
things that I do on the radio, you know, I'm, I'm using my words right now to tell this. I just want to be faithful to what God's given, the way that he's changed my life, and to give hope to other people. And uh, the way that my life has been impacted the most, I think, is through those kinds of stories, the redemptive stories that we tell, whether it's the true life story of uh, Christopher Yuan and his mom and dad, mm-hmm. or it's War Room, which is a fictional story, but it, it shows the truth just as well. Stories that can read our hearts and souls, as well as you know, uh, be a good yarn that will will drag people in and want to know what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. And didn't you have a part with the, uh, I think you wrote part of the Left Behind series for the children's edition, is that correct? Yes. Jerry asked me to come alongside them pretty early on when they were at book six, and uh, we wrote 35 books together along with Dr. LaHaye. And each one of those, it's interesting, uh, Dr. LaHaye's vision for this was, I want any kid who's you know picks this up no matter what age they are I want any kid to be able to see a believable conversion mm. shown in the book so i had to come up with in in the middle of the apocalypse i had to come up with uh, 35 real conversion stories uh, that a kid could look at and say wow so if i do that if i give my life to christ like that that'll happen to me um and and so that's what we did, and that was the vision for that whole series. Wow, that's awesome. And, you know, it won't be until really till the return of Jesus Christ and you're standing there receiving rewards to see the great profit of what you wrote in those and how many people were saved because of what yeah. they read. That's just the... Uh, yeah, and I look forward to that. I, I love getting the, the emails and the, you know, response from young people and even older people. We get response from adults who say, I, I kind of like the kids' books better because <laughs> <laughs> I was able to read it, you know, understand it even even better. But, yeah, you're right. But we don't do it for the, you know, for the success, quote-unquote, or, or the stories that get told to us. You just be faithful with what you're given to do and then leave the rest to God, and, you know, he's the one who's orchestrating all of this anyway. Mm-hmm. What new projects are you currently working on? I just finished the edits on a book that's going to be out in uh, the summer, around July. And I've always wanted to write a coming-of-age story, and this is called The Promise of Jesse Woods. And I grew up in, in West Virginia, so and I've written a series of uh, books based on, a, on my hometown. I've called it Dogwood. So I'm going to take listeners, uh, readers, back to Dogwood to tell the story of this coming-of-age uh, young person in the 1970s and then what happens to all of them. Um, in closing, Chris, is there something you'd like to share with our listeners to encourage them in the things of God? Well, I, I just, uh, maybe there's somebody listening today who needs a little bit of uh, an oomph uh, to just keep going. I've found that um, one foot in front of the other is the best way, one day at a time, and sometimes one hour and one 10-minute section of time is is all I can muster. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you're listening today and you feel like what you're doing is not having an impact and you're not, you know, you're, you're struggling with seeing if it's, if it's worth it. When I write, I go back to my, um, I usually write from, from the start to the end, and I don't go back and read too much. You know, I make notes as I go along. When I go back and look at all the stuff that I've done, I can't tell which was a day when I felt felt inspired and which was a day I was just, you know, it was pulling teeth to get this out on the page. It all goes together. It, it's all used. And so maybe you feel like, 
you know, your life is that way. You you don't feel the inspiration that you felt. Just keep on going. Be um, keep the perspective of moving forward. And God is doing something in your life, and He's drawing you to Himself through the struggles and the highs and the lows and all that. And I hope that'll be encouraging to you to to let Him be the one who's telling your story and editing, so that in the end you'll be able to look back and say, "Wow, that." It does all fit together, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of the word faithful. Just be faithful, day by day. Amen. If a listener would like to reach out to you, Chris, what would be the best way for them to contact you? The website's easy, chrisfabry.com. The last name is a little hard, F-A-B is in fab, F-A-B-R-Y, chrisfabry.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'll put a link up on our website to your website as well. Great. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today. I really appreciate it been a pleasure. Thanks for your encouragement. Oh, you're welcome. God bless you.
Thank you for joining us on the Solution Radio Show, and thank you to Chris Fabry for sharing his heart and life with us today. All of the Solution Radio Shows are archived at thesolutionradioshow.com, where you may re-listen at your convenience. There are also links to the websites of our guests, musicians, and sponsors. Also on the website, there's a page for upcoming events. If you'd like your event listed, just send the information to info at thesolutionradioshow.com. A reminder that the Praise Line is open 24 hours a day where you may call in and give a testimony of God's working in your heart and life. The number is 844-705-3410. Once again, that number, 844-705-3410. We will play some of those testimonies in upcoming shows. Please continue to keep in your prayers the expansion of the Solution Radio Show We have listeners through the website replay from 65 different countries from around the world and many, many cities throughout the United States. The Solution Radio Show is listener-supported, both by your prayers and your financial giving. All donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support. It is greatly appreciated. Our mailing address, The Solution Radio Show, P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois, 60567. Once again, that address, P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois, 60567. There's also a donation link available on our website. Have an awesome rest of your day. God bless you. You are God's very best.